What's going on, everyone? Episode 86 of Vibe Block and Talk Live. I'm your host, Wack, and join alongside with me today is Jackson, as almost always. Jackson, how you doing, man? Doing good. Uh, it was a busy weekend. I had family Christmas, but it was uh, also just Christmas all around. I mean, we had Texas high school football state championship weekend. Uh, always fun to kind of sit down, watch those games play out, uh, root Root for whoever, maybe the jersey combination you like, the teams you actually know about, whatever it is, always watching uh, Texas High School Championship weekend uh, during that time. That wasn't on my uh, kind of to talk about list, but let's start there then because that gives me a good idea. What was, what was for in your opinion, what was the jersey combo <clears throat> of the week for you? You know, I really like uh, South Oak Cliff's jerseys they had out. Uh, I, I feel like all the Dallas ISD uh, schools had really good uniform combinations, but South Oak Cliffs, I always like theirs uh, with the gold. And I believe they have Mecca and cursive on their uh, helmets. So I really like those. Uh, I like the Duncanville All Blacks. I got to see them uh, when they played the Woodlands. Uh, those were really clean. And then, of course, North Shore's new Nike jerseys. Uh, a lot of people uh, might not like them because they're a little plain Jane, but that's just kind of how North Shore likes it. They like it to look uniform, look unity. Uh, so I really like their uniforms. But uh, if I had to pick another one, um, I'd probably say I always like Brock's. The blue the blue and yellow just always goes well together. I like Brock's jerseys as well. Yeah, I think a couple for me. I think I like Gunner's jerseys. I like their combo. China Springs as well. You, got, you know, especially if I'm not a North Carolina fan, but, you know, you got that baby blue which I know a lot of people like to rock. I also like Bernie's. I like that purple, um, you know, uh, done right. The purple can look good on a jersey, and I think Bernie does it right. Um, and then, of course, yeah, I agree, Duncanville. Last year they did the whiteout. Uh, yeah, last year they did the whiteout. This year they, they um, did the blackout, and uh, they've killed it both times. So, um, yeah, I would agree with you. I think Duncanville probably wins it for me for, for, the, for the whole week. Um, so we're going to cover today, obviously we're going to cover, um, all we're going to go, you know, walk through all 12 games. Some we'll talk about more than others. You know, a lot of them, let's be fair. They were kind of snooze fests for the most part. Um, that happens sometimes. That's that's just the way it is, but there were a couple of good games. So we'll talk about those, but before we get into the games, I want to talk about state as a whole, because there, I think there were a couple of, of intriguing kind of stories there. Um, so I'm going to give you the option of what you want to talk about first. So, you know, you pick and then I'll, I'll, I'll kind of break it down and before we give our take. So do you want to talk about stadium location first or do you want to talk about regional dominance first? Which one do you want to talk about first? Yeah, let's talk about stadium first. Yeah, great. So, you know, um, this one happened fairly early into the week. And I think the conversation kind of carried over. Um, it, you know, as, as the week went on, especially with that regional dominance that we'll talk about in the, in the second segment. And so after Referio lost, um, their head coach um, kind of was like, hey, I don't like that we always have to play at AT&T Stadium. It throws us off. It's not fair that some teams have to travel so far, this and that. I have my opinion on this, um, but I want to hear your opinion um, on this. And I think we've kind of briefly touched on stadium location in the past, but do you think that the state should always be at AT&T Stadium. What's your take on that? Should there's some talk of should you know one A and two A maybe play a different location and and three A through six A play somewhere else? What's your whole take on 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 you know, kind of that discussion that was had this past uh, this past week? You know, I I, I wouldn't mind. I, like the coach from Ferrier said, I, 
I think sometimes it does affect a lot of these schools and kind of these urban, uh, <clears throat> not the big cities. Uh, I mean, even for teams down from Houston or San Antonio and Austin, it's still a drive to get there. You're still getting a hotel most likely that Friday night and staying the night versus these Dallas schools. They just hop on a bus on that day and just head there in the morning. So um, I do agree. Maybe, maybe the stadium location isn't always the best, but I feel like Jerry's world is such an experience. It's a thing for the entire community, the team, just getting the play in Dallas Cowboys stadium. I mean, how many teams actually get to say that they get to do that uh, other than the teams that make it the state? I think that's what makes it so great. Um, I think that in the future, we might see it hop around to the three different major cities. But I mean, I, I think that for the most part, having it at, Dallas Cowboys Stadium is just it's a part of that Texas high school football state championship I don't think it gets any better than that um I think that a lot of people would agree with that but uh I I do agree with some things about Referio I mean I know he mentioned that they only got to have two practices that week versus the other opponent I believe is Holly correct Josh correct Holly got to have three practices because they were closer to the stadium so I feel like it really just depends on how the UIL wants to handle it. But I think as a whole, I think everyone likes that it's at Jerry's World because you get to go experience that atmosphere. And, uh, I mean, you look at the 6AD1 matchup to end, to end everything, the finale of the state championship weekend. I mean, there are more people at that game than there probably are going to be a, a lot of bowl games this year in college. So um, I, 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 I have mixed feelings about it, but I, I personally think Jerry's World – uh, is a great spot for it. Yeah. First to the, to the notion that, you know, one, a two, a, maybe three, a should play somewhere else and, you know, have the bigger schools play at a different No, I think, I think having all 12 games at the same location is, is fair. Cause it's like, you, why punish a school just cause they're smaller. Right. I mean, you should, the, the one a's should have just as much of an experience as, as the six a's. Plus I don't think UIL would ever do that anyways, just because, then you're splitting up their personnel at different locations, especially if it's on the same during the same day. So I don't think that's ever going to happen. As far I, I, I like you, you brought, brought the argument that he only got two practices. Kind of put that on the coach, right? I mean, this is a guy that's been to I think seven or eight state championships now, and, and you're telling me you don't ha you can't have it planned out where you still get your three practices in. That's a little I, I put that one more on the coach than I do anything else. I mean, you know what day your state championship's going to be on from 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 preseason. I mean, next year they know they're playing on a Thursday, right? Are playing a, they're D, I'm sorry, they are D2, no, they're D1. Yeah, so they're playing on a Thursday next year. They, so they know that. So, um, oh, no, no, they're playing on, a, uh, yeah, yeah. No, they're playing on a Wednesday next year. I'm sorry. I'm looking at my schedule here all wrong. So they know next year they're playing on, they're playing day one. So it's like that's stuff you got to think of, especially if you think you're going to have championship aspirations. But I think the, the main point is, you know, when you try to make the argument, well, well, uh, you have something you want to say on that? I got, no? Yeah, I, I, oh, go I was, yeah, okay, I was sorry. just going to add, okay, I was just going to add, uh, you know, I, I totally agree with you about the coach. I think that, I, I was thinking that when I saw the interview on Twitter, I was like, well, why wouldn't you maybe practice on a Sunday then, or, or uh, get ahead of a practice, like at least do what you would normally do on a Monday on a Sunday, because typically most schools on a Monday, uh, you're doing a workout, you're kind of prepping your game plan for the week, uh, setting, watching film. So 
I feel like it's definitely what you were saying uh, in regards to the practice part of it. That, that was just something I didn't necessarily agree with, with what he said, but uh, I just wanted to bring that up as a point um, to anyone who didn't see that video. That's kind of the point he was trying to make with it, uh, the distance. Yeah, and I think I think I think the final point on that, and this is what's so hard for for UIL is when you really look at, and I think uh, it was I think it was even Matt Step that might have uh, tweeted this out or, or retweeted or something along those lines that when you take all fifteen hundred UIL schools and find the exact lo center location of all those schools, it is just I think just like west of of DFW. So. In reality, it really is the center. It's hard to say, let's move it around. But here, here's the thing. And again, this is hard for UIL to do because they can't wait to know who's in the state championship to lock in a state championship venue. They have to do it sooner rather than later, right? They have to do it. They have to do it years in advance. They can't just wait around and then do the venue. Is you, you have to consider the teams in the Panhandle, the teams in El Paso. Do they rarely make state championship games? Yes. But if they were to ever make it, and let's say it's in Houston, now you're talking about a team driving basically all the way across the state to go play for a state championship, whereas for the most part, most teams are driving, I think it's no more than 300 miles. So I think that's where I think that's where the, the thing comes in, is that UAL has to consider those teams. Yes, they don't historically make it to, to Jerry World or make it to the UAL State Football Championships, but you have to keep them in account because what happens if for one one year they do and you're having that game in Houston, that's a long, long drive. That's a lot longer than, than a lot of these teams are driving there and back currently for AT&T Stadium. So it's one of those things where I don't think people maybe take that into account. They're only looking at the teams that are currently playing and not all the teams in the state going in week one. So I think, I think with that being said, I think Jerry World is a perfect thing. I think personally for me too, if you're going to play it somewhere else, it needs to have a, it needs to have a dome. So you're looking at, you know, Jerry World, you're looking at Alamo Dome, you're looking at NRG because you don't want bad weather to ruin a state championship game. So I think, I think you have to have a dome. So you go take out DKR, you know, and stuff like that. So that's, I think that's my final thought on that. Jackson, any final thoughts before we move on to kind of um, number two on our radar? Any, any final thoughts? All right, then. Well, let's move on then to um, kind of um, topic number two from the state championship, and that's that's the dominance of regions one and two. And I think region two in particular, I think, ended up winning seven or eight of the um, state, oh, excuse me, state championships. Franklin was the only two team in region three or four that won state this year. All the other teams came from either region one or two. Jackson, were you surprised about this dominance that happened in, um, in, in that in those two regions on the left side of the bracket, basically? I mean, not necessarily because they how it is split up. I mean, region one and two. You, it, I'll use six A as the example for region one and two. I mean, six uh, A. You have Dallas is split up, basically. So you had Duncanville on one side, and then the other side you had the Allens, the Prospers those schools up on region one. And so Duncanville really only had to play. They played two Houston team, Houston area teams uh, in the third and fourth round. And then they met up with another Dallas school. So uh, I'm not shocked that those uh, teams succeeded. Um, I am more surprised that it's that big of a margin of dominance. Maybe uh, this is something UIL looks at. Um, for when you look at realignment and maybe redoing how the regions look. Uh, but, I mean, Dallas schools did their thing this year, especially 
and uh, all, everyone in Region 1s and 2 across the board just really did their thing except for Franklin, uh, Franklin who won in Region 3. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, I mean, sometimes I think that's a little skewed. I think you see, you do see a lot of teams, especially in the one A through three A, sometimes from region one or two, kind of dominant like that. Uh, I was surprised Houston kind of got blank there. I mean, um, when you look at Port Neches Groves, when you look at North Shore, um, you know, you thought maybe they, you know, one of them would end up winning, but that wasn't the case. Then you, of course, you had some upsets in the in the semifinals. You know, so Katie didn't get to play Desoto. Would that game have been different if it was Desoto Katie? So some things we'll just never know. But yeah, definitely, definitely, um, I, I wouldn't say exciting, but you know, it, it, it's good. It's good stuff because you know last year you did have some dominance on the not maybe as dominant, but you know you had Region Three and Region Four kind of showing out a little bit, and this year it was you know Regions One and Two just really dominating. So. Um, I don't think it's a big, big, huge story. Just really an interesting fact to to really look into, you know, just to see and, and be like, wow, uh, Region One and Two really just stood out as far as teams goes this year. Um, any any thoughts before we move on and talk about some of these games, Jackson? I mean, I, I, I my only thought, and this is just uh, something I've always been curious about, you know. That region two is always interesting when it comes to Dallas and Houston because, for the most part, it's a Dallas region. But then you have four teams from Houston that have to go through that uh, region with all these other Dallas schools, which makes it there's tons of travel in region two. So I, I always get uh, confused on that and why they split it up like that. But that's that's kind of just a my 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 two cents on that. I, I would like to see that change. Maybe have uh, those four Houston teams move into the Region Three side, where it's mainly Houston. Yeah, and I think the short answer is to that is just the number of schools, uh, especially in that six A. So they you know you know they don't have as many schools maybe to put in, um, and then on top of that, you know they have to fact they try to factor in. And be fair as much as they can to travel. It's, it, UIL doesn't have an easy job sometimes, especially. I mean, you want you want to talk about UIL having a fun job, fun quote unquote. You know, you go look at the four A schools and their locations, and how they have to district you know district them every year. Like it's not an easy job, and I don't I don't um, you know, um, <laughs> I, I, their job is not easy. I'll just say that. Let's move on to some of these games. Let's go ahead and just run through some of these scores real quick. Now we'll start at one A. Um, Division two. We'll start where it all started. Uh, Benjamin gets past Lorraine, sixty-eight to twenty. Got that run rule um, on him early in the third quarter, I believe it was. And then one A D one. Westbrook uh, goes. I think believe it was back to back. They beat Abbott, sixty-nine twenty-four. Also a, a run rule early in the fourth quarter, I believe that one was. And then the final game on that Wednesday to start off, uh, Albany gets past Mart, forty-one uh, twenty-one. Know a lot of people had Mart winning that one. Uh, undefeated coming into that game, and Albany, Albany gets the win. I think um, that head coach had been there for quite a while and finally got his state championship game. Uh, Jackson, real quick, just run it down Wednesday. I don't know if you watched any games, but what were your what were your take on the Wednesday action of it all? Yeah, I remember we talked about uh, Benjamin. I believe I picked Benjamin to win that game, uh, but I was seeing a crazy stat. May, I'd, I'd have to double-check this, but uh, I was scrolling through Twitter. Apparently, Benjamin... Um, from what I could see, was basically scoring every other play. They they only had really 16 plays that they really scored on, and they were able to put up 66 or 68 points. I think is what you said, Josh. So um, right. I, that one was shocking to me. I always love watching six man football because uh, it's a little different. 
but um, just you always have high-scoring games. Looking at those brackets uh, for six-man 1A uh, and seeing scores get up of uh, 100 points, that's pretty crazy. So uh, always kind of like checking in on those games. So those were a couple of games I was looking at on Wednesday. Yeah, it's always fun to watch those games. I mean, you just need that one good athlete that's going to be able to outrun everyone. That tends to happen quite a bit in, in the six-man level. So move on to uh, to Thursday in the first game. Of course, we mentioned it uh, kind of previously. Holly beats Refurio 54-28. I think that was a game I don't think a lot of us were expecting to go that way. Maybe maybe not, and when I say that, maybe not the, the drubbing that Holly put on him. That was an absolute just dominant performance, performance by Holly. I don't think an extra day of practice would have helped. So I'm just going to say that. <laughs> um, then we move on to class, uh, class 3A. Uh, and the first game there, uh, Gunter and Poth. Of course, Poth was the team I picked to win just from the simple fact that I've had a lot of family go through that school. So it was more of a, a heart pick, and uh, and Gunter just took it to him, 42-7. That seven came really basically at the end of the game for, for Poth. So, uh, you know, proud of, of the Pirates for getting that far, but Gunner definitely the better team there. And then in the nightcap, the first close game uh, of, of the tournament came on, on Thursday night. Brock and Franklin, a back-and-forth game that came on a game-winning field goal by Franklin. I mean, this game had it all. I don't know if you watched this game, Jackson. Give me a, give me a hitch. So you did. I mean, Franklin was not the better team on offense in that game. Brock was constantly moving, but then Franklin got that key strip when Brock was moving downfield. I think they were at the, the Franklin, like, 30-something, and they, they just completed a pass to get to that, and the, the wide receiver is still trying to run, and number 10 for Franklin, I forget his name at the top of my head, just strips it and runs it all the way back for a touchdown. I mean, Jackson, what was your take on that game? I thought it was just a great game in general, but, I mean, man, you got to feel sorry for Brock because he felt like they had the better kind of offensive scheme, it felt like, and they, they I felt like their defense had really shut down Franklin's, uh, you know, kind of slot T for the most part. Yeah, and uh, you really saw uh, how much one play in a state game can really change the momentum. Uh, that changed it for Franklin, for sure, getting that strip for the touchdown. Um, but then, I mean, late in the game, they were able to just kind of drive down the field, and they were making the right play. Their quarterback, who's also their kicker, uh, nails that uh, last-second field goal to get the win. Uh, the thing that I really liked about it afterwards, and this this says a lot about Texas high school football, is you had the Brock coach get both teams together at the end of the game, and uh, they just kind of they they just kind of enjoyed the moment together. Yeah, there's wins, there's losses, and basically you could hear the coach kind of talking about it. Someone's got to lose, someone's got to win. Uh, it was y'all's win today, uh, and just kind of talking to those kids, having a little prayer. Uh, after the game, and it was just kind of something cool to see. Uh, you don't really get to see a lot of that maybe on TV all the time, but that's what Texas high school football is all about. Yeah, that was definitely a great moment to to see, especially to close out the the second night of of, of you know UAL State, and we moved on to Friday. This is where we get into the four A through six A realm. Game number one, Carthage taking on Wembley, and this game. It seemed like it could have, it could have maybe gone, you know, maybe a, I don't want to say a different way because I think Carthage is that good, but I think Wembley could have put up some points. The final score on this one, by the way, folks, forty-two to nothing. But I feel like there was a couple of plays where just like if a ball bounces one way or another or whatever, maybe Wembley puts up a little bit more of a fight. I mean, they caused Carthage to fumble in their opening possession, 
can't do anything with it. They get down into, you know, Carthage territory a handful of times. I think even the red zone turn it over. So just Carthage being becoming going back to their dominant performance. I think, uh, uh, you know, the head coach there is now what nine and nine for nine when playing at AT&T stadium, you just can't beat him when he gets there. He's lost. He's won more state championships um, than he's lost playoff games as a coach at Carthage. Just unbelievable. Only lost seven playoff games, one nine state championship. I mean, just crazy. Just uh, talk to me about the dominance of Carthage, Jackson. Yeah, and I, I was kind of watching that game in and out as I had uh, brother's graduation on that Friday. Uh, so, I, but I really liked how Carthage was playing, and they just they were just the better team out there. I mean, um, Wimberley did their best, and you know they were close to potentially putting some points on the board. Uh, they're late in the game, but they threw an interception, which gave Carthage the ball back. So uh, Carthage was just dominant overall. And, um, I mean, you, you just talked about it. That's a program with a coach that knows how to win when it comes to playoff time. So uh, congrats to Carthage and coach on his night. And then we move to the game that might have been the most heartbreaking, you know, as probably out of all the games, but especially I know for me, uh, you know, kind of really kind of rooting for him a little bit on the side. The the uh, middle game of that uh, that day, Bernie and China Springs. China Springs was twenty four to twenty one on a game winning field goal. Um, but in this one, Bernie was up twenty one nothing, and then the China Springs China Springs, sorry, uh, no S. Uh, they score right before halftime, so they go twenty one seven into half, and then it's all China Spring in the second half. Bernie has, you know, a couple of, you know, turnovers and stuff like that in the second half, I believe. Uh, and, you know, just uh, I think there was one, there was, a, I think, it, you know, and this is what you kind of hate is, you know, I, if, I, if I'm remembering the game correctly, Bernie was driving a little bit and they pick up a first down, but I think it gets called back because of a, um, an eligible man downfield. And, uh, you know, right call, but you hate to be see, see it called there in such a tight game. Um, then they end up having to punt and then, China Spring goes down and, and kicks that field goal. Um, you know what a game! I think that might it's my you know, this one and then the very last game of the of the tournament, if you will, might have been the two best games. Uh, and then you can say Franklin and uh, and Brock as well. But Jackson, what is your take on this game? Yeah, you know, uh, I was once again. This is another game. I was kind of in and out of like checking on Twitter for it, but I, I really I saw t- Bernie was up twenty one nothing, and I said, well. Looks like uh, San Antonio, Austin area is getting the state champ. And then next thing I know, I'm checking Twitter uh, after dinner, and I see that uh, China Spring wins on a, a game-winning field goal. So it's kind of crazy uh, how a game can change, especially like you were saying um, with the – like I, how I said earlier, with the slightest uh, plays, penalties, whatever it may be, um, that's all you need for momentum swing. And um, getting that illegal lineman downfield – uh, is a very unfortunate penalty, especially in the circumstances where it happened. But this part of the game, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I it's another exciting game. I believe that was top three for me um, overall on the weekend. Yeah, and it was indeed a uh, illegal man downfield. I, I just looked, um, hate to see it, but I mean, yeah, that one really set them back. They said they had just picked up a first down. It was a twenty-six yard gain on that one. So huge turn that was a huge play for me that really turned the game at the very end there and we moved to the nightcap and of course you know we we talked about this game earlier 
Dallas South Oak Cliff defeats Port Neuchus Groves 34-24. This one, I think it was the tale of two halves. I, th- I felt like, you know, Port Neuchus Groves had the uh, kind of had the edge early on there. Uh, and then it was, if you ask me, it was, um, it was, it was that, I think that safety um, really turned around the game. Uh, uh, it was the, the punt that went over the head um, for, uh, for Port Neuchus Groves. He bats it out of the end zone. Uh, I think that really turned the momentum in that game. Uh, and then from, I think, I think after that, it was just South Oak Cliff just doing what they do all year. They, you know, they're, they're a big, they're a physical team. They got a great defense. So they just wore you down on defense and, and find, you know, just waited for their opportunities on offense for them to score. And that's what they did. Jackson, what's your take on this game? Yeah. You know, I was really rooting for P and G in this game. Uh, but South Oak Cliff, I mean, we said it at the beginning of the year, um, they had the teams go back to back and, um, we had some questions kind of during the mid season when they were kind of own four at the time, but, or own three, uh, and they really just picked it up and they switched out, uh, their kind of run game. They added Javon Thomas to that run game. He was able to do things in the state game. And then also getting back a uh, wild man, Collie, uh, as at receiver, he made a ton of plays or he made a really big catch that I saw, uh, in that first half. So. Uh, South Oak Cliff was just the more dominant team once they came out in the second. Uh, but don't hang your hats if you're P&G with first-time head coach, uh, Coach Joseph, who is Gary Joseph's son, uh, Katie, legendary coach. So, uh, though, congratulations to South Oak Cliff on the win. But uh, if you're P&G, you guys are going to be you know, back there pretty soon if I, if I had to bet on it. And I think and this is something we, we talk about, I think we talked about last week, is like you can't look at the number of losses on a, on a team's schedule because sometimes the case for South Oak Cliff, the case for, for Brock, even though they didn't win at all, Brock, uh, is that they're playing some tough teams to start, you know, uh, in pre-district because at the end of the day it means nothing, right? It's not going to do anything to to affect your, your playoff hopes because all you got to do is win, you know, place uh, one, two, three, or four in district. So, you know, I think that was the case for Sock. They're always going to play a tough non-district schedule. And I think one of the crazy things for me is that William Little, the, the quarterback for uh, Sock, was, he wasn't their quarterback in the regular season. He started being their starter in the playoffs, and he had a great game. I mean, you, you think all season Sock was like a, a run-first team, and they just aired it out. And that speed on, for the receivers was, was one of the differences in that game. So moving on to Friday or Saturday morning, it's time to – to, to wrap everything up for, 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 you know, UIL State, Alito and College Station, Alito back on task, back to dominating per usual. You know, I think College Station getting there was uh, kind of a somewhat of a Cinderella story, you know, new, <coughs> excuse me, new head coach, um, losing Marquise Collins in the preseason. I mean, all those things to get even get back there, that's, that's just a, a sign of a good team right there. Uh, but then, of course, they come up just short with a, a Alito team that, I mean, and I think me and you talked about last week, we thought whoever was coming out of that Longview Alito game was going to end up winning state. And that, that, that's what happened there. What are your thoughts on this game, Jackson? Yeah, you know, I, I uh, they talked about it on the broadcast that those Alito kids remember <clears throat> the last time they played College Station in that state championship game and they lost uh, in 2017. And uh, those kids were only in junior high, but they were in this. They were crying about it just as much as the kids on the field. So uh, getting a little bit of a re- revenge for that 2017 
2017 team. Uh, I think College Station was just uh, – they just were really outplayed, uh, and Alito proved their dominance after, you know, we, we, we had talked about they lost the Parish Episcopal at the beginning of the year. But like we've uh, you just said, I mean, losing games in the regular season doesn't matter as long as you're winning in a district and when it counts on the playoffs, that's all that matters. And uh, Alito did their thing, and it was a very dominant, very impressive win for that team. And I really like how their quarterback plays. Yeah, I mean, just a very good game overall. Uh, then we move to our first of the two 6A games to really close things out. Vandergrift taking on DeSoto. DeSoto wins uh, 42-17. And, you know, I mean, that game, you know, Vandergrift first time state championship. DeSoto first time back since 2016. Um, what are your thoughts on this game? I mean, I thought it was a great game overall. I think the playmakers for DeSoto showed up. I mean, I mean Trey Wisner made plays. Uh, um, uh, DeAndre Ryan made plays. Um, uh, who my friend John Tay Cook. Everyone, every playmaker on DeSoto, I feel like I made a play in that one. And for Vandergrift, it was kind of one of those things where they had, you know, they turned the ball over unnecessary times. There was that one where uh, Ray Buchanan looked like he was trying to get the, just trying to get rid of it because he's about to be sacked, and it ended up being a fumble instead. And so you know, DeSoto got the ball deep in Viper territory. Um, you know, so they set themselves back and. You know, they would get the run going at times, but then DeSoto would shore up and stop the run. Um, you know, so what, what, what's your take on this game? Yeah, you know, uh, coming into it once we kind of, after last week and seeing who was going to make it, uh, I would have picked, I picked DeSoto for sure, just based off the pure athlete standpoint. Uh, I mean, they, they've got playmakers all over the field for them. Uh, you saw Dante Cook make a big play in the game. You saw uh, both uh, both running backs, Wisner and uh, Ryden, correct? On the uh, last name? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, are you talking about you for saw both? Gift? Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. For uh, – Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah Ryden. DeSoto. Yeah. yeah. So you saw both of them make huge plays, and, I mean, um, they just kind of – like they just were more explosive and they had more athletes. And um, that Vandegrift team fought in there. They were – I believe it, was clo- it wasn't necessarily super close, but it was closer in this first half. And then uh, you just saw DeSoto kind of run away with it. And um, DeSoto wanted uh, wanted to make a statement that they're back. You know, everyone has kind of looked down on them when it's come to the past couple of years, especially in the playoffs. So um, I think they wanted to make a statement. They definitely did that this year uh, with a, I believe, new head coach. <laughs> Well, it, it was. It, it, I, don't, I think he's been in there for a few years. So, um, but I mean, you're completely right. It was 21-10 at halftime. Vanderbilt got the ball to start the second half, um, and they even scored. It was 21-17, and then from there, I mean, DeSoto just turned on. That, that I mean, I don't know. I don't even know if they punted in the second half. Uh, let's see. Did they punt in the second half? Did not. Um, yeah, I don't believe they punted until late in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, DeSoto just couldn't be stopped in the second half. I mean, 21-17, it's as close as you're going to get. I mean, that's a ball game right there into the third quarter with, uh, I don't know how much, didn't say how much time was left there. So, um, but at the end of the day, congrats to DeSoto. Um, and that makes two for two for them right there in that little, that little triangle, if you will, in the DFW area that they talked about so much. And then we head to the last game. Part four of this saga, if you will, North Shore, Duncanville, North Shore coming in three and zero in those in those previous three meetings, and again, all three had different stories, right? You had the Hail Mary game one, 
Yeah, the injury to the quarterback in the semifinal for Duncanville game two really just put them kind of out of pace there. And last year was that back and forth game that saw Caleb Bailey with that pass to Amendor late in the fourth to help seal that win. And they come into this one and you fell at first. You, you start watching, you're like, oh man, this one's going to be all Duncanville because they get up early 14 to nothing. Um, and then Dunk, and then North Shore scores 21 in the second quarter. This one goes 21-21 into the, into the halftime. Um, Duncanville scores in the third quarter, and North Shore's held out. I mean, they're, they're blanked in the second half, and, of course, it comes down to a fourth, and uh, I think it was four, I believe it was. Let's see. Let me – here, I have, the, I have the, uh, the breakdown here. Let's see. What was it? It was fourth and four. And he gets three, three, basically all but one inch is what he gets. Um, and then Duncanville is able to kneel it out from there. Jackson, I mean, talk to me about this game. You had to be exhausted. Did you get, if you get to watch it, were you exhausted afterwards as I was? Yeah, you know, I got to watch it. Um, it was, I, I was watching it. And then uh, about with like two minutes left, I drove home real quick, quick from my grandparents' house. Uh, was able to watch the rest of the game and that kind of the final drive. Um, and that last series, you know, you saw Duncanville go up and um, then North Shore got the ball. And it, it was kind of crazy watching uh, that drive handle out because it was like, oh, Duncanville's already cheering. They're already ready. And then it was like, oh, first down, first down. Oh, we're down. We're down in Duncanville territory now. And it was super crazy uh, to watch how that game played out. And then uh, you know, David Omdor had been the superhero for that North Shore team all year, and uh, he came up just a yard short on that first down. Uh, Kip left it out, all out in the field, but uh, very deserving win for Duncanville and Coach Samples as he gets his first state championship. Uh, you know, that community loves that coach, and Southside Dallas loves uh, Coach Samples. So very big uh, win for Duncanville. I'm very, uh, very happy for him, uh, Coach Samples, and the Panthers. Yeah, and I think in that one too. I mean, it was it was one of those things we talked about. Duncanville was going to have the speed to deal with North Shore, and they did, right? I mean, you look at what it really showed. The, you know how much they did miss Caleb Bailey, right? I mean, you look at that last drive, and it really it was funny because I was saying to myself, "Just contain the edge. Don't let him get to the edge. You know, don't let him run on the." And that's all. He, that's what he did a lot in that last drive. He would he would roll out to the left, roll out to the right, and start running. And no one could really catch him for the most part. You know, got some got some face masks that that helped him out along the way. It was interesting on that last play where where the edge seemed to work so much, and then the, on that last play they ran up the middle, and he really was just short. I mean, his elbow hits once. You know, if he's able to keep his elbow up for for one more inch, she picks up that first down, then who knows what happens. But really great job, uh, you know, especially, I think, uh, by uh, by Simmons. I mean, he was the difference up until that last drive in that second half of really just containing uh, Amador. I mean, every time in that second half, it really felt like North Shore trying to get somewhere. He was in the backfield almost immediately. I mean, what a huge game for him to get uh, to do that, to do that. And then, you know, hey, you know, you know, it's, you know, this is this was funny, by the way, with, 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 you know, high school and college football, for that matter, is that a lot of teams, they'll, you know, they'll go out of the gun and they'll go solely out of the gun. Right. And so when you need times maybe to go under center, you just don't do it because, you know, when Duncanville got that ball back um, after um, the last series, all I had to do and kneel it down. On first down, he takes that snap out of shotgun and just kneels down immediately and start, instead of running forward for a couple yards and then kneeling down. All of a sudden, it's second goal at the two. You're like, oh, man, 
this is going to be interesting. Is he going to be able to not? Is he going to be able to get out of the end zone before nailing it down? Uh, he he does, um, and it's a game. But man, you know, you're you're like, oh, is something going to happen here? But uh, man, I was <laughs> this is why it's important to 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 take snaps out of center and out of shotgun for times like that because you could tell they the, pinning him deep like that was not or me starting so deep. I should say not pinning him, but starting so deep almost came back to bite them in the butt there, but. Great game to end, end state on. Um, th- those two teams, they always put on a great showing. Um, final thoughts on the season as a whole, Jackson, as we get out of here today. Yeah, you know, I think as a whole, we got to see a ton of great matchups across the board, whether it was during the regular season, whether it was during um, the playoffs. Day. Overall, I, I, I just I, it was a blast getting to go cover games. Uh, this year, and uh, c- congratulations to all the state champions. Uh, you all played a heck of a season this year, and looking forward to uh, seeing who's building this off season and who's going to be ready when it comes next fall for another season. Yeah, the stories are already starting for sure. We'll be here to cover it all. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with a uh, with a Viper Recruit Spotlight. Uh, we're going to be going live, I think, around 11 o'clock or so to talk about some of these uh, signing days, see where some of these Texas uh, athletes are signing to. Uh, there's lots of, you know, <laughs> lots of still unknowns about who's going where. So me and Jackson will have that all for you. Uh, but until then, this is the last episode of Locker Talk for 2022. We'll bring it back in 2023, talk some basketball, baseball, soccer, all those sports that are in- happening in 2023 so hey it was it's was, it been fun in 2022 covering football jacks i know me and you on at least you know usually once a week if we could cover and break it all down and now we have our state champions and we get to go out of here with a bang hopefully having a good christmas jackson hopefully there's gonna be some good christmas for you so last time for the 2022 season on locker talk live who are you shouting out today yeah, I'm going to shout out uh, all the te- uh, like like I said before, all the teams that won. I'm going to shout out you, Josh. Uh, you do a great job setting up the shows, uh, getting us going, and I, I hope you have a great Christmas yourself. Uh, also, going to just shout out uh, my family. Um, it's it's that time of year where my brothers come in town from college. Uh, though we might uh, might not get along necessarily all the time, but it's always a fun time. Uh, being around the family and uh, spending that time together. So shout out my family. Um, and, yeah, just shout out uh, to you again, Josh. Yeah, and shout out to you as well, my my co-host there. Um, you know, uh, been great covering the covering the season with you. And shout out to all of my family and my wife, uh, you know, if you're watching. And then, uh, you know, shout out to the Vibe crew. Did some great things this season. And hopefully we'll continue that on into 2023. So with that being said, for the last time for 2022, for Locker Talk Live anyways, like I said, we'll be back tomorrow. I'm Wack, and that's Jackson, and we'll see you at the games.